Hello everyone, and welcome to the Rennick Centre podcast. Today, we have a returning visitor, Dr Penny Rosenblum, who shares some suggestions for parents and teachers to support students with vision impairment with travel. This includes strategies for personal locomotion, such as walking and bike riding, public transport and ride sharing arrangements. We hope you enjoy. Hello, it's Trudy Smith from the RIDBC Rennick Centre, welcoming you to the Rennick Centre podcast. We're in luck this morning. We have one of our favourites joining us again, Dr Penny Rosenblue. For those of you, this is your first time with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, Penny? Sure. Well, I'm over here in the States. I live in Tucson, Arizona. I actually grew up in New Jersey, which isn't too far from New York City on the East Coast. And in Arizona, I actually am a professor at the University of Arizona. And part of the reason I picked living in this particular community is because as somebody with a visual impairment who is a non-driver and has been a non-driver all my life, Tucson, Arizona works really well for me. It's really hot here. I don't know the Celsius equivalent of 100 degrees Fahrenheit, but you can look that up. About 35, it's hot. (laughs) It's okay, so it's about 35 Celsius when it's um, summertime. But the good thing about Tucson is we get very little um, weather that's um, zero C or below. And so as somebody who doesn't drive and walks and bikes, um, is out waiting for buses, it's a great community for me. And we're big enough that we have bus service, we have Uber, we have taxis. So as a non-driver, I have a lot of choices. And I really have become interested in this topic of preparing people like myself with visual impairments to be um, independent and effective non-drivers in our very complex society. Sure. So you've you've talked about your visual impairment and and being a non-driver. So can you share about your own experience growing up with low vision? Sure. I'd be glad to do that. So I was born with congenital cataracts and then developed nystagmus. So the world has always been blurry to me. And I was born at a time um, in the 1960s where in the United States we had a rubella epidemic and that's what caused my vision problems. So my parents knew very early on that I was going to have trouble seeing. Ironically, right before I was born, my father opened up a driving school. So by the time I got to high school, he literally was teaching half of my high school graduating class how to drive. So from a social emotional standpoint, this was a pretty traumatic time in my life. Um, You know, it just um, wasn't fair that he was teaching everybody else how to drive but his own daughter. And I went off to college. I went to college several states away and wanted to get as far away from the parents as I possibly could. And when I got to a a small town in um, St. Augustine, Florida, all of a sudden I realized I had poor orientation and mobility skills. I wasn't really good at orienting myself. And I remember, this is early 1980s, getting up on a Sunday morning so nobody would see me and getting a pad and a pen and walking around the community and standing on tippy toe because I didn't have a monocular to read the street signs and drawing myself a really basic map so I could actually maybe find things and understand what streets people were talking about. Um, So it was tough for me growing up and I didn't learn strategies for being a non-driver. I knew how to cross the street safely but there's a lot more to being a successful non-driver than street crossings. So is that why it's so important to you to talk about being a non-driver for people with visual impairments because of your own background? Absolutely. 
And as a teacher of students with visual impairments for, for several years, and then being a faculty member at a university, I often meet um, teens and adults with visual impairments, especially those who acquire their visual impairment, um, let's say from Stargardt's disease or retinitis pigmentosa, um, that they're going through a really tough adjustment period where they have to now learn these new strategies. On the same vein, I sometimes meet folks who um, have very overprotective families. I, I own overprotective parents, so I, I know what that's like to not be encouraged to go out because you might get hurt, you might get hit by a car, you might get lost. And so um, you, you as, a, as a person with a visual impairment, when you're hearing those messages over and over again, you're less likely to feel the confidence um, to want to build those skills to learn to be a successful non-driver. Sure. Now, I understand that you and Dr. Ann Corn are publishing a book called Finding Wheels. Can you tell us a little bit about the book and its intended audience? So I assume that's these young people that you're talking to. Sure. So I do want to point out to um, your listeners that if they Google Finding Wheels, they'll probably find a book from 2000 that Dr. Ann Corn and I wrote, and they don't want to buy that. Um, it was really fun to start the revision process and read about things like making sure that you carry money for the payphone. Um, and I don't know about in Australia, but we don't really there have are practically none left. We walk around with our cell phones, and there was nothing in the 2000 version of Finding Wheels about GPS or cell phones. So that book is very outdated. So we are in the process of um, working on the final version of Finding Wheels, Strategies to Build Independent Travel Skills for Those with Visual Impairments. And this book is written for travelers, those with visual impairments who are teenagers or in their early 20s. The book has um, several chapters um, that help you kind of move through the process of exploring who you are as a non-driver, understanding the types of assessments that might be done for you, recognizing the role of the orientation and mobility specialist, um, rites of passage, how, how are you moving into adulthood? There are other ways besides getting a driver's license. And then we go through each of the types of categories of wheels, so personal wheels, biking, walking, um, public wheels, taking buses and trains and ferries, uh, driving wheels driven by other people, taxis, Uber, what we call rideshare services, um, hiring somebody to be your driver more in a formal relationship, or um, family members or friends who are driving you. And then we talk about things at the end, such as budgeting and thinking about where you're going to live and how your transportation is going to be impacted and what you want to consider. We also have some activities throughout the book that travelers can do on their own or they can do with um, a family member or a professional to help them explore different types of um, concepts in the book. So for example, doing a safety check. Um, what things am I doing to be safe when I travel now? What things might I want to do in the future? What things are definitely not for me? Um, we have one about interviewing people. So, you know, talking to three or four or five other folks with visual impairments of different ages who are living in different communities. I mean, somebody who lives in Broken Hill, their travel experience is going to be very different than somebody who lives in Melbourne. Um, so I want to, as a non-driver, get the perspective. Sure. And when we think about big cities, there are a myriad of options for driving and, and having non-drivers. You know, non but 
Do you have suggestions for teachers and families to support somebody who lives in those more rural and remote communities? Right, so somebody living in Broken Hill or, or in Mount Isa, they're gonna have pretty limited options being in the outback. And so we wanna think about, okay, I don't always wanna rely on grandma or my sister to give me a ride someplace. And if those are my options, I don't always wanna be a taker and saying, hey, take me here, take me there. What can I do in exchange? So starting from a young age, some of the things that I think are really important is if that person has some usable vision, learning how to ride a bike safely. Do I use a mirror so I can see cars behind me? Am I wearing brightly colored clothes? Do I have a bike helmet? Learning how to plan my route. I wanna go from my house to my uncle's, my uncle's house and there's you know, two dirt roads I need to ride my bike along to get there. Do I know which side of the road to be on so that cars can see me if they come down the road? Do I know where the ditch is so I know that I need to stay in this particular spot of that route a little bit more towards the middle and really use my listening so I don't run into the ditch? Um, thinking about there's going to be times where um, families are going to come into a more urban area. So how can that young person be involved in planning that time for the family? Um, finding out where businesses are located, calling or getting on the internet to get directions. Um, if the family's coming into a community that has bus service, um, let's park the, the family car and all as a family, let's take a, a vehicle, I'm sorry, take a bus over to um, the store that we're going to or the friend's house that we're going to visit so that the student um, as a child with the family gets that experience. The same thing though, when that child is a student at school, when professionals can plan opportunities to bring students into larger communities, when they can take opportunities to introduce them to others. I'm sitting in my home office in Tucson, Arizona, and Trudy, you're, you're literally across the world in Australia, and we're sharing information. So just because somebody's in a rural community doesn't mean that they can't connect with others using um, the technology that most of us have available today. Sure, and GPS on mobile phones is a really good example of just the way that technology allows for gaining information and sharing information. Uber is something that, and ride sharing is, is very new to the world. And I, I know some parents really worry about putting, you know, young people and, and children in an Uber that's sort of unsupervised, like a, a taxi. Do you have tips for, for keeping yourself safe in those kinds of situations? So Trudy, that's a really great question because a lot of folks are hesitant about using ride share services such as Uber. And I think whether you have a visual impairment or not, or regardless of what age you are, that there are things you can do to help um, keep yourself safe. So for example, when I request a ride share, an Uber, I can't see the license plate number on it. I can see the color, but I, I don't know what a a uh, Dodge Dakota is versus a uh, Honda um, Accord. So I will open the back door, never the front door, open the back door, stand back as far as I can with my hand still on the handle and ask the driver who the driver is picking up. I will never say, are you Trudy? Instead, I will say, um, can you tell me who you're picking up? And unless that driver can tell me that they're picking up Penny, I'm letting go of that handle and slamming the door. Um, Another thing I do is I can take a picture, um, a screenshot on my phone, and I will sometimes send that to my husband or a friend. 
Um, most of the apps now actually allow you to share your ride in, in real time. So I can just send a link. I don't even need to send a picture anymore. I will know where I'm going roughly. So if I feel like that vehicle isn't following the route, I, you know, I'm thinking I'm gonna be going north and west to get from my house to the store and this driver goes south, I'm gonna start questioning that driver. And if I'm feeling unsafe, I'm gonna tell that driver to pull over. Um, I've never had to do that. I'm also very cautious and um, not to share personal information with drivers. So I won't say, oh, I'm so glad that you came because I was feeling lonely. My husband's at work and my grandma's out and it was just me at home. Well, now I'm just telling you, hey, after you drop me off, why don't you come back and rob my house? There's nobody here. Um, you know, I won't tell you my work schedule. So part of that is, I think, just being good and smart in general. I, look, I've learned things from, from what you've just shared about dealing with rideshare. So, so thank you so much for that. Are there any final thoughts that you've got for families and teachers about how to build that independence with travel for our students? I, I think we all need to think about that it's not just about travel. It's about social skills. It's about literacy skills. It's about um, self-care skills. So to be a successful non-driver, I have to interact with a lot of people. And just as I was mentioning with rideshare services, how much do I share? How do I ask for information? Is this the number nine bus? I, I need to have good social skills. I need to know when I'm gonna let people know I have a visual impairment. If I call a business to ask for directions and they just say, oh, we're on, we're on the corner of 34th and Smith, well, that doesn't maybe help me. So I need to be more specific and I need to call and I need to say, I don't see well, can you tell me what corner you're on and what color is your building? So helping your child um, or your students start to develop those skills, giving them jobs during travel so that your um, child or your student has to you know, be giving the driver the route. The driver knows exactly where to go, but let's make that student um, or that child the navigator for this, um, this particular trip. Let them pay the bus fare. Even if they're a young child and they get to ride for free, they can have the experience of paying the bus fare. So I think it's... Um, not overprotecting our, our children, making sure they're safe, but giving them some autonomy and some opportunities to problem solve and get out there. And the more environments we can take them into and the more types of travel options they can try that they might use as adults, um, the better they're gonna be ready for success. Fantastic, that's really helpful, Penny. So thank you so much. For those of you who are really interested in that Finding Wheels book, we're gonna attach some material to the podcast notes so you can find those. If you want to hear more from Penny, she's going to be one of our keynotes at BizCon in 20th of June. And we're looking forward to hosting her as part of our group discussion as well. But for now, Penny, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. It was great visiting with you. A huge thank you to Penny for her time talking to us again today on the podcast. We have included a information flyer that Penny spoke about within this podcast to the description of this podcast within Podbean and iTunes. So be sure to check that flyer out for more information. If you'd like to hear more about Penny and from Penny, be sure to check out VizCon's listing at the Short Courses website, shortcourses.radbc.org.au.